You're listening to the Glasgow Times, normally recorded by volunteers at the Bishopbriggs Media Centre, currently being recorded from homes across Greater Glasgow. Please enjoy this week's articles. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 15th of June 2020, from the news section, Man 22 seriously assaulted by a group of teens in Govan, by Emma Sabliak, multimedia journalist. A man, 22, was hospitalised after being seriously assaulted by a group of teens in Govan last month. Police are now appealing for witnesses that may have spoken to the victim or seen the group of suspects. The incident took place around 11pm on Tuesday, May 26th, on Govan Road at the junction with Broomalone Road. After the assault, the suspects, thought to be a group of three to four men in their late teens, made off in the direction of Brumelon Road. They were all wearing dark clothing. The victim was taken to Queen Elizabeth University Hospital for treatment and was later released. Detectives were particularly interested in talking to a dog walker who may have spoken to the victim. Detective Constable Alistair Taylor of Greater Glasgow CID said, we are appealing for anyone with any information which may help us with our inquiries and who has not already spoken to us to get in touch. We are particularly keen to speak to a dog walker who may have been speaking to the victim prior to him being approached by the suspects. We would also like to hear from anyone who may have seen the victim or the suspects prior to or after the incident to get in touch. Anyone with any information is asked to contact police on 101 quoting incident 4315 of May 26, 2020. And that piece was by Emma Slabliak. Celtic keeper Craig Gordon considering Hart's move after turning down Parkhead deal. Craig Gordon is reportedly considering a return to his former club Hearts. The Celtic goalkeeper last week turned down an offer to stay at Parkhead after being offered a vastly reduced deal. The short stopper has spent the last six seasons at the Premiership Champions with his current contract set to expire. St Mirren have been linked with a move for the Scotland International but a report suggests that the 37-year-old is plotting a route back to Tynecastle. That would likely see Gordon playing his football in the Scottish Championship. Speaking last week, Gordon said, With Celtic, the ball is in their court. They have made an offer, but they know they'll need to come back with something better. My contract has lapsed and I'm free to talk to anybody. That's what I intend to do over the next few weeks. St Mirren have made me a good offer and the other clubs have also been in touch. As things stand, I haven't closed the door on anybody. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 15th of June 2020, from the news section. Children with cancer were exposed to risk. Article by Caroline Wilson, senior reporter. Children and adults being treated for cancer were exposed to risk due to the failings in the plan of running the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, an inquiry has concluded. An independent review was ordered after the deaths of a number of patients 
including 10-year-old Millie Main, linked to the cytococcus bug and other infections linked to problems with the ventilation system and water supply. The review did not find sound evidential basis linking the death to the design, build and commissioning of the hospital. It concluded that the hospital provides a safe setting for patients, staff and visitors. However, nine failings related to the care of vulnerable patients were identified in an inquiry, which was chaired by Dr Andrew Fraser and Dr Brian Montgomery, and made 63 recommendations. It found that the effectiveness of infection control was undermined by problems within the NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde leadership team. The level of independent scrutiny in the final design of the hospital was not sufficient, and the plan did not take into account the scale and complexity of the project. The Health Board was also criticised for failing to be open and transparent about the problems with the hospital, which was built by Multiplex. Dr Fraser said, While the hospital provides a safe healthcare environment for patients, staff and visitors, as the review progressed, our findings caused us to focus on those clinical places, caring for children and adults with cancers, including leukaemias. These specific groups have been exposed to risks that could have been lower if the correct design, build and commissioning had taken place. And that piece is by Caroline Wilson. Jozo Simunovic reveals Celtic 10 in a row disappointment after being released by the Parkhead Club. Jozo Simunovic has revealed his disappointment after being released from Celtic ahead of their 10 in a row bid. The big Croatian defender had an option on his Parkhead deal to extend his Glasgow stay by a year but the hoops decided to free him up ahead of the new season. Jozo, age 25, is now a free agent and he admits he wishes he had the chance to say a proper goodbye to the Celtic supporters after spending five years at the club. He said, It's a bit weird as I was at Celtic for five years and was a good part of the success. My wish was to stay for one more year minimum as we have a good chance to do something historic. To win 10 in a row would be a great achievement and I'd remember it for the rest of my life. Was I surprised to leave? I need to look at the whole situation in football right now and everything isn't great with COVID-19. It was the club's decision and I need to accept it. They are looking at everything as a business. What can I do? Of course I can say I am angry and sad that I am not at Celtic for next season, but I cannot change that. It is the club's decision and I need to respect it. It won't spoil the way I look back at my Celtic career. I am still very happy and proud. I have been a big, big part of Celtic and the success there for the last five years. I also think of the boys who left last summer and the summer before. We have all played a big part in Celtic's run to nine in a row and that will never change. I cannot look back with bitterness because I had the chance to have five years at a great club. I loved every game I played for Celtic and I need to thank my teammates, my coaches and especially the fans for their support.
from the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 15th of June 2020, from the news section, Glasgow University Summer School goes online with free lessons, and this piece is unattributed. Free online lessons have been launched so school people can spend their summer learning while adhering to social distancing measures. The University of Glasgow-led Summer STEM Academy, now in its third year of operation, is making 26, wor- 26 workshops on a wide variety of science and engineering topics available digitally from today. Lessons feature worksheets and videos to, le- to guide learners on unique projects which can be done from home. Volunteers from the Universities of Glasgow, Edinburgh, Edinburgh Napier, Heriot Watt and Strathclyde have crafted workshop activities and topics including robotics, biodiversity and space colonisation. Margaret Ritchie of the University of Glasgow School of Chemistry said The Summer STEM Academy programme was built from the ground up to create quality partnerships between universities, schools and businesses and find new ways for them to benefit from working together. It gives students the chance to see academia and industry up close. Student teachers the chance to learn new methods of teaching and academics and industry professionals the chance to reach out to younger people. The coronavirus turned their plans for the third year of Summer STEM Academy upside down, but it's also given us the opportunity to open up our workshops and reach a much bigger audience by putting them online. The Summer STEM Academy was launched in 2018 and brought high school pupils from 13 local authorities to locations in or around Glasgow, along with registered and probationer, primary and secondary teachers. The Summer STEM Academy is at www.stemacademymyscotland.org and the authorship of that piece was unattributed. Kilmarnock confirm Alex Dyer as permanent manager on two-year deal after interim stint. Alex Dyer has signed a two-year deal with Kilmarnock after his interim stint as manager last season. Dyer, who was assistant to Steve Clark during his time at Rugby Park, took over the reins at Kelly in December last year when Angelo Eliseo was sacked and he has now been rewarded for his successful spell and will manage the club on a full-time basis with the Scottish Premiership campaign set to start on August 1. I am extremely proud to continue as manager of this wonderful football club and I thank the board of directors for the faith they've shown me. My passion and desire to lead this club and team has been strengthened during these recent months away from football and I am looking forward to start working with the team again as we prepare for the season ahead. I have always enjoyed a close bond with the fans and I have been blown away by how they have continued to show their support during the shutdown. This season, starting out without supporters in the stadium, will be unlike any other that I have ever known but that continued sense of unity can help carry us through until we're able to reunite at Rugby Park. Speaking on behalf of the Board of Directors, Billy Bowie added, Alex stepped up to provide stability at a crucial time last season 
and as we prepare for a new campaign, we believe that continuity combined with his understanding of the club will be critical as we face the challenges ahead. Working closely with our Head of Football Operations, Alex is passionate about creating opportunities for our young players to progress to the first team and he has already started to shape the squad by securing contract extensions for key players. As a board, we will support him as much as we possibly can when the transfer window opens. This will be a season like no other and the unity and support that we have seen from everyone in the Kelly family will be equally important throughout this campaign. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 15th of June 2020, from the news section. SNP MP Amy Callahan undergoes emergency neurosurgery after suffering brain hemorrhage. By Earl Duffy, social media journalist. An SNP MP has had to undergo emergency neurosurgery after suffering a brain hemorrhage. Amy Callahan, MP for Eastern Bartonshire, was found by her partner, collapsed at home, after suffering the stroke on Wednesday, June the 10th. An imminent risk to life was identified and a 28-year-old was rushed to hospital for surgery. Ms Callaghan was elected to the House of Commons in 2019 after unseating the then Liberal Democrats leader, Joe Swenson. In a statement released by her constituency office, she said to be stable in hospital after pulling through the operation. Nicola Sturgeon has sent her best wishes, stating that in a tweet that she wishes her the speediest possible recovery. An emotional statement from her office reads, Thanks to the immense skill and response of the medical team involved in her care, Amy was able to successfully pull through the operation and is now stable in hospital. She wishes to put on record her enormous love and gratitude to all involved in her care, the first response and ambulance crew, accident and emergency staff, the neurological surgeons and the wonderful nursing team, who have all played a role in, undoubtedly, saving her life. As she's always done throughout her life, she will continue to fight. She's determined to overcome what barriers, if any, may now arise as a, result, as a result of this incident. She wants to make clear that her constituency work would continue. Her office is still open for those who require help and support. The statement added, There will be a period of required rest and recover. While this is ongoing, we ask that you respect her and her family's safety and privacy. It is the privilege of her life to be elected as a Member of Parliament for Eastern Bartonshire. There is absolutely no doubt that Amy will come back stronger, fitter and more determined than ever to continue in that role and serve, top the best, to the best of her ability, the people of her constituency. SNP Westminster leader Ian Blackford MP said, My thoughts and best wishes are worth Amy and her family at this incredibly difficult time. I wish Amy a full and speedy recovery from everyone in the SNP and would ask that people respect her family's privacy now and in the weeks to come. And that piece was by Earl Duffy. Celtic manager Neil Lennon hopes for delayed old firm. Neil Lennon expects the SPFL will try to push the old firm derbies into the second half of the season to improve the chances of them being played in front of supporters. 
The governing body is set to announce next season's fixtures before the end of the month as it works towards the Premiership returning in August. The expectation is that matches will be played behind closed doors for a period as a result of the coronavirus guidelines on social distancing. Ordinarily, that would mean at least one Glasgow derby taking place inside an empty stadium, but Lennon believes the SPFL will try to avoid that scenario of po if possible. Said the Celtic manager, I think pushing back the first derby is what everyone would want. Everyone associated with the game would want that, the clubs would want that, and I'm sure the TV companies would want that as well. I do think the authorities will look at it and try to push it back. It will give us more of a chance of getting the punters back. We're all hoping playing behind closed doors will be a short-term thing. It's a difficult time for clubs in Scotland. We need our fans and the virtual season ticket will give them an opportunity to see the games even if they can't be there, which I think is brilliant from the club. It's not ideal, but we are not in an ideal environment. We know what football means to so many people in this country. We have a fantastic product here for the size of the country and it is important we protect it and get it up and running as best we can. Hopefully in the not too distant future, we will have supporters and players back in unison again in the same stadiums with the same atmosphere. But maybe as a short term fix behind closed doors is something me and the players will have to adapt to. Lennon has been tuning into German football to see what he might expect when Scottish football returns with no fans. He added, I watched Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund and some of the other Bundesliga games. The actual quality of football was brilliant, but obviously it was surreal watching it without supporters. The Bundesliga have led the way through this difficult time and they seem to be coping pretty well with it. We have to look at that and say it's doable, it's feasible, but for the sake of the game, and I'm sure it's the same in Germany and all the other countries, we want the public back in when it's safe. From the Glasgow Times, date Monday the 15th of June 2020, from the news section. Govan COVID-19 groups receive £100,000 to continue vital lockdown services. Piece by Heather Carrick, Facebook community reporter. Govan groups have been given a huge £100,000 boost to help fund services during the coronavirus, coronavirus crisis. The Govan COVID-19 Temporary Emergency Funding Group, made up of Lindhouse, Govan and Elder Park Housing Associations and Govan Thriving Places, has been given the grant from the Scottish Government to continue vital service while lockdown continues. The fundraising will help to deliver services such as providing hot meals for the community, support for young people and families with financial difficulty, and online classes. Fiona McTaggart, Chief Executive of Govan Housing Association, said, In determining where this money should go, we have tried to strike a balance between what is needed now by local people in terms of day-to-day -day living and how we can help mitigate the lasting effects of the coronavirus emergency 
which has huge implications for the people's employment. Irene Campbell, Chief Executive of Lindhouse Housing Association, added, It is vitally important to get this money to, or to the organisations on the ground who are doing such an incredible job. We applaud the efforts and know full well how committed they are to our fantastic communities. Benefiting from the huge grant will be groups including Unlock Employment, an organisation set to receive £5,000 in funding. Jerry Keogh, founder of Unlock Employment, said, The coronavirus pandemic has far-reaching implications for communities like Govan, not just currently but in the longer term. Jobs remain at risk and this, of course, has the potential to affect people's livelihoods. We're here to help the communities overcome the challenges of the health emergency. At Unlock Employment, we know that looking forward or getting back into work can be a difficult and confusing process, so we have a dedicated team of advisors who are there to provide help, advice and support to people just like you. We can help people find a job, provide employment training, find learning and development courses and offer career advice. And that article was written by Heather Carrick. Hearts relegated to the Championship after SPFL League reconstruction bid fails. Hearts have been relegated to the Championship after the League reconstruction proposal failed. The Tynecastle side needed the backing of at least 11 of the 12 Premiership clubs and over 75% of the total 42 clubs in the SPFL but the threshold has not been met. Just 16 of the 42 professional clubs in Scotland voted in favour of the plans. An SPFL statement read, The SPFL board today, Monday, announced that a league-wide consultation exercise has shown there is insufficient support for a new divisional structure and that the current 12-10-10-10 format will remain in place for season 2020-21. 16 of the 42 clubs favoured changing to a 14-10-10-10 structure, but this was short of the numbers required, and as a result, the SPFL board has agreed to draw a line under reconstruction talks. Separately, the 10 championship clubs have voted to approve a 27-game programme, with teams playing each other three times rather than four. Neil Doncaster, Chief Executive of the SPFL, said, In recent weeks, we have been consulting closely with our clubs regarding possible reconstruction and, based on the feedback we received, the board decided to ask all 42 clubs to give their views so that we could have absolute clarity, which we have achieved today. Whilst a number of clubs were in favour of a new divisional setup, the support for it was insufficient, and we will now move forward with a fixture programme for season 2020 21 based on the current 12-10-10-10 structure. Due to the restrictions forced upon us by the coronavirus outbreak, 
The championship clubs also voted overwhelmingly to play each other three times next season rather than four, which enables a later start to the championship league season. Now that we have a confirmed structure for next season, the SPFL's fixturing team will begin work on the Premiership fixture list, which will start on the weekend of 1st August, and the Championship fixture list, which will start on the weekend of 17th October. Discussions regarding arrangements for Leagues 1 and 2 remain ongoing. Plans unveiled for new outdoor beer garden and food market in Finiston by Stacey Mullen, Audience and Content Editor. A well-known city restaurant has unveiled ambitious plans for Glasgow's biggest beer garden. The owners of the iconic Rotunda building in Finiston will operate the Cranside Kitchen, which will be a new free-to-enter outdoor venue open seven days a week with a food market and beer garden. They claim it is the city's biggest beer garden. The food market will offer menus from five of Glasgow's most renowned restaurants, including Rioja, Halloumi, Pickled Ginger, Kilmarion Co and La Rotunda, with a single drinks and desserts menu. It is hoped the venue can open on the 19th of June, assuming Scotland enters into phase two of the route map out of lockdown. Restaurateur Tony Cabajosa said, We believe that a beer garden will be a great addition for the iconic site. If the First Minister stands up on Thursday and makes the announcement, we'll be ready to go, hopefully within 24 hours. We've been working with the local authorities and with the licensing board and are adapting our operations in line with government guidelines. Our teams are excited to get back to work and customers can be assured that all the necessary safety measures will be in place before we open to the public. Landscaper John Henderson has been commissioned alongside the team to design the site that it is hoped will kickstart the restaurant economy in the city. He said, The design proposals aim to create an attractive and usable outdoor restaurant and beer garden area. Cranside Kitchen is located just a hop, skip and a jump away from the River Clyde walks and cycle tracks, and the area will continue to offer on-site parking for customers. The centrepiece of the new Cranside Kitchen will be two pergola-style marquees to cover customers, new trees and greenery, industrial walls, bespoke picnic tables and outdoor furnishings. The current rotunda parking area would be altered into the outside venue, which would also be a serving space for food, while the proposed beer garden would be to the rear corner of the premises. Strict social distancing guidelines will be in place, and there will be limits on numbers at any one time to avoid crowding. The Rotunda building's bathroom facilities will be open for customers, and safe toilet management will be maintained at all times. Hygiene measures are also being prepared to make the venue safe for all customers. Staff will be wearing face masks, gloves and a very strict two-metre distancing rule will be in place across the site. Cranside Kitchen will operate on a first-come, first-serve basis, Monday to Sunday, 10am to 10pm, at 28 Tunnel Street, Glasgow, G38HL.
Thomas Kerr, Scottish Government Has Let Down My Constituents. An article by Thomas Kerr published in the Glasgow Times of 16th of June 2020. Of all the support measures implemented as a response to the coronavirus pandemic, perhaps the most wide-reaching and innovative has been the UK Government's Job Retention Scheme, commonly known as Furlough. According to figures announced by HMRC last week, the scheme, by which the UK Government is directly paying 80% of the wages of employees right across the country, has helped to support over 600,000 jobs in Scotland. In Glasgow, that amounts to more than 77,000 families having the security of a pay packet during these challenging times when otherwise their employer would simply have been unable to sustain the cost of wages. On top of these incredible figures, an additional 146,000 people in Scotland have claimed under the separate scheme for those who are self-employed. The Chancellor's recent announcement that the furlough scheme will be extended until October, with added flexibility to support a phased return to work as we begin to emerge from this crisis. The furlough scheme is just one of the examples of the ways in which the UK government has sought to support households right across Britain. Unlike other devolved schemes like business support grants, it doesn't matter if you live in Parkhead or Pontypridd. The furlough scheme has helped to provide for families right across our United Kingdom. This is on top of the £3.8 billion of additional funding for Scotland, as well as access to UK-wide VAT deferral, company loans and a strengthened welfare safety net, that proved the strength that coming from pulling resources across our family of nations. In my own patch, data shows Glasgow East has been the largest beneficiary from the furlough scheme of any constituency in the city, with a total of 12,800 jobs being directly underpinned here by the UK government. In contrast, we've also learned in recent days that forge market traders in the East End will continue to be denied the business grant funding they should be entitled to because of updated Scottish Government guidance. David Linden MP was quick to take credit on social media when he thought his government had fixed this issue. But it's now clear that he falsely raised the hopes of market traders in a shameful exercise in self-publicity. Shockingly, the National Market Traders Federation, NMTF, which represents market traders right across the UK, have told me that they have had no engagement with the Scottish Government regarding eligibility for coronavirus business support grants, despite having written to a Scottish Government minister over a month ago. Their figures show that 84% of non-essential goods traders do not employ any staff. 80% are not liable for business rates for their stall or unit and 70% are sole traders. 
So despite David Lindon's assertions to the contrary, it's clear the vast majority of forge market traders do not meet the eligibility criteria dreamt up by the Scottish Government. The NMTF has also told me it believes Glasgow forge market traders would be eligible for support under the equivalent scheme in England and that they find it odd that the Scottish Government has introduced eligibility criteria to include the requirement to have a business bank account and employ staff. It's a complete dereliction of their responsibility to the, to the people of the East End that the SNP didn't bother consulting the industry before making these rules and didn't even consult their own party's Member of Parliament. The tale of two governments this week has never been so stark. On the one hand, a UK government working flat out to preserve jobs and incomes right across the country and on the other, a Scottish government too busy manufacturing division that their own separate schemes are utterly failing those that need them most. So much for standing up for Scotland. Aldi unveil plan for Shettleson store. Supermarket giants Aldi want to erect a vending machine for recycling purposes in their Shettleson store. The popular grocery firm has asked the City Council for planning permission. In a statement about the Shettleson Road store, the firm said the unit will be used for the collection of plastic and glass bottles and steel and aluminium cans. The planning statement said, these units are vital in order for Aldi to meet their legal duty to implement a deposit return scheme, a DRS, at all their stores in Scotland to comply with incoming legislation from the Scottish Government. The Scottish Government announced the introduction of the deposit return scheme in July 2022 for drink containers meaning that retailers will have a legal requirement to accept returns of empty drink receptacles for recycling. Aldi plan to use a reverse vending machine that scans containers when they are returned and refunds the customers. A decision is expected on the plan by July 31. Article from Glasgow Times, 15th of June, 2020. Lifestyle. Pictures of Ardner Merchen show new look for social distancing by Stacey Mullen, audience and content editor. A Glasgow pub has used lockdown to redesign their premises to meet social distancing requirements. Ardner Merchen on Hope Street wants to be one of the first bars to reopen in Scotland when the closure order is lifted. Neil Douglas, who operates the bar, completely redecorated Ardnamurchen during the lockdown by creating 21 unique private dining and drinking spaces, accommodating groups of various sizes. Each area is divided from each other by screens. He said, We're fortunate to have a large venue. 
We've taken out a third of our seating to separate customers and the layout will work whether people have to maintain a one or two meter distance. The private spaces work really well and people will be able to pre-book the one they want. Having tried them out with my own children, I know they're perfect for families. They give the kids a bit more space than usual and naturally encourage them to stay close to their table. For those customers wanting to sit at the bar, there's a discreet perspex screen to divide them from staff. A one-way system, infrared taps and toilet flushes plus hand sanitizers will be in place at the venue, which, if required, will close one day a week for deep cleaning. Staff have already been given online training and will receive complete inductions before the doors open. Customers can still walk in off the street for tables and pay by cash or can choose to go contactless by booking their tables online and ordering and paying for food and drink via an app. Neil, who also owns Basil's in Edinburgh, added, We're really happy with the changes. Our aim is to keep all the character and ambience of the venues and maintain a great experience for customers while providing the safety measures that many will want. We source, we source most of our produce from the west of Scotland, so we can still serve the dishes our customers know and love. We'll be ready whenever the go-ahead to reopen comes. From all the positive comments we've had from passers-by, we know that customers are keen to come back and we can't wait to welcome them. Neil employs 17 staff at Ardnamurchan and 11 at Basel, all of whom have been furloughed. Neil opened Ardnamurchan in May 2017 following a £430,000 investment with Heineken-owned Star Pubs and Bars. He has received rent reductions from Star Pubs and Bars at Ardnamurchan and Basel's, along with government grants to help the businesses through the crisis. Katrina Stewart, protecting George Square statues is the easy way out for racists. An article by Katrina Stewart, published in the Evening Times of 16th of June 2020. Time to stand and stare is a rarity, but on Sunday in George Square for the first time I paused to take a look at the heart of Glasgow and what it contains. I must have walked through the square hundreds of times, but have never stopped to really take in what sits on the plinths, what is written on the plaques, and what adorns the front of Glasgow City Chambers. But then, it's the first occasion in my time living and working in the city that hundreds of people have shown up with the expressed purpose of protecting the works on display in the square. Protect them from what? Excellent question. Since the killing of George Floyd by a police officer, an unarmed black man on May the 25th in Minnesota, there has been an outcry of protest around the world. Black Lives Matters campaigners have worked together in cities across the US and UK, Australia and Germany, France and Japan to protest structural racism. It is a hard task to stop and examine yourself as a person or as a country and acknowledge your own flaws. The UK has pledged to do this on many occasions. The Angelini report looking at deaths in prisons, 
The Lamy review into the treatment black, Asian and minority ethnic individuals in the criminal justice system. Both recent, both with dozens of recommendations that have not been put into practice. It's easy to say you'll change, not so easy to actually change. But the men and small number of women who turned up in George Square at the weekend to protect the statues were not really there to protect anything. Some may have thought they were there to protect some misty-eyed British way of life that doesn't exist, if it ever did. Some might have thought they were there to protect the notion of British grandeur that came with empire, an idea symbolised by the men who feature on plinths in the square. These are long-dead notions. On the front of Glasgow City Chambers sits Queen Victoria, ruler of the United Kingdom when it was at the height of its colonial powers, with riches earned through slavery and an empire begot by violence. What would she think, gazing down at thugs threatening police, threatening other citizens, threatening violent harm to human beings, but willing to protect lumps of metal and concrete? The Westminster government has also moved to protect lumps of metal and concrete. Not statues, but war memorials. Boris Johnson has pledged to protect the statue of Winston Churchill in Parliament Square, despite the fact there have been no threats to its safety. Following this fit of silliness, the Conservatives have proposed introducing a special offence of vandalising war memorial, carrying a maximum of 10 years sentence, which is more than you would get for causing death by dangerous driving. The statue issue has become so ridiculous now that even the Labour Party can't step back and try to say something sensible. Instead, Nick Thomas-Simmons, the new Shadow Home Secretary, told Sky News he would support the government in creating this new offence to protect war memorials. There are valid reasons that statues might be taken down, and plenty of them. There is space for a decent civic debate about what we do about commemorations to people who made their fortunes from slavery, from tobacco and sugar. We should talk about it and we should learn about the history of our city and our country at the same time. It's not pretty, it's exploitative and it has shameful chapters. Those conversations will be hard. But on Sunday, as I stood in George Square and looked at all the blokes flitting up and down like purposeless shoals of fish, moving in a certain direction only because the creature next to them was also moving in that direction, it occurred to me that these chaps are pledging to protect the statues because it's the easy option. It's far easier to run around the city centre with your face hidden by a mask than it is to confront your own prejudices and sort them out. It's easier to shout the C word at young girls holding Black Lives Matter posters than it is to have a think about why those young girls might be there. A simple distraction is the explanation at an individual level 
But Shadow Justice Secretary David Lamy said similar on Radio 4 yesterday when talking about the issue at a government level. Black people aren't playing victim, as Boris indicates. They're protesting precisely because the time for review is over and the time for action is now. The Tories want a culture war because they want to distract from the central issue. Looking at George Square Cenotaph on Sunday, I noticed the words engraved on the site, the same words engraved on war memorials across the country. These died in war that we at peace might live. These gave their best, so we our best should give. These groups who turn out on the pretense of protecting statues and British values might want to stop and think about those words. We, our best, should give. Racism, abuse and violence is not it. Shameful behaviour now, instead of confronting the country's shameful past, is not it either. Callous and ignorant vandals desecrate Roma Holocaust Memorial for the second time. Vandals have carried out a callous and ignorant act of racism after a Holocaust memorial was desecrated. Thugs have ripped the rose tree from the Roma Holocaust Memorial in Queen's Park, the second time the tribute has been targeted. But defiant campaigners have said the memorial, the work of young Roma people from Govan Hill, will be repaired. David Donaldson, chairman of Roma Advocacy and support charity Romano Lab, said, We are extremely disappointed to hear that the Roma Holocaust Memorial has once again been vandalised. This was a truly callous and ignorant act. To destroy a memorial to thousands of innocent men, women and children who were murdered during the Holocaust is an unspeakable act, but to do so during a time of global pandemic while communities are losing loved ones is unforgivable. This year is the 75th anniversary of the end of the Holocaust, but this act of vandalism shows us that much work is still to be done in challenging the racism and deeply ingrained prejudice that our Roma communities face here in Scotland. The Glasgow Times told last November how the Romani Rose Tree Memorial in Queen's Park had been destroyed. It had been placed in the park thanks to the efforts of young Roma people from Govan Hill to mark Roma Holocaust Day on August 2. The commemoration remembers the day in 1944 when more than 4,000 Roma people were murdered at Auschwitz-Birkenau. In January this year, thanks to Romano Lab and support from Glasgow City Council, the memorial was replaced. But at the weekend it was noticed the rose tree had been snapped near its base and the tree is gone. David added, 
Romano Lab will support a new memorial to be planted in memory of the Roma victims of the Holocaust. Govan Hill has a long history of standing against racism, notably chasing the black shirts out in the 1930s. It's time now that we once again stand together and drive out the ignorance and hatred that has vandalised this memorial for the second time. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 17th of June 2020, from the news section, Audi cars most used in Glasgow's top 20 speeding offences. This article is an exclusive by Jack Hall. It's been decided once and for all, Audi drivers are the most likely to break the speed limit in Glasgow. New figures show locals who favour the German motoring giant have committed the most speeding offences in the city. Speed cameras clocked Audi's breaking the limit in 8 out of the top 20 incidents in Greater Glasgow since 2018. The new statistics, released to the Glasgow Times following a Freedom of Information FOI, request, show Audis were used in nearly three times as many cases as its nearest rival Volkswagen. The highest speed clocked in the city in the past two years was 101 mph in an Audi S3 Quattro. Six drivers were found to be going more than 80 miles an hour with the likes of Land Rover, Mercedes and Ford also making the list. Seat and Mazda motorists were, clocked while, were also clocked while, perhaps surprisingly, there was no room for BMW drivers in the top 20. And that article is an exclusive by Jack Hall. SPFL close to agreeing £2.3 million BT Sport compensation deal. The SPFL are close to agreeing a financial compensation package with BT Sport for the early curtailment of the 2019-20 campaign, according to reports. The BBC say that the two parties are on the cusp of an agreement that would see Scottish football's governing body pay the broadcaster £2.3 million for the matches they were unable to show due to the decision to bring the season to a close. It comes after the SPFL agreed a £1.5 million compensation package with Sky Sports earlier this month for the same reason, to be paid over a five-year period. According to the BBC, the payments to BT Sport will be made in instalments after weeks of negotiations between the two parties. Sky's £160 million broadcast deal kicks in at the start of the new campaign with an agreement to show 54 games each season for the next five years. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 17th of June 2020, from the news section Lamhill Stables hits out after two tonnes of rubbish are dumped in their community garden. Article by Stacey Mullen, audience and content editor. A well-used community facility is hit out after fly tippers dropped two tonnes of rubbish in their premises at the weekend. 
Lamhill Stables said they were saddened to discover that the rubbish had been left in their community garden. The organisation added that they will now be forced to close their premises out with working hours, which they normally leave open for dog walkers and members of the community taking daily exercise. In a statement, the facility said, Unfortunately, our community garden has been used for fly-tipping at some point over the weekend, with two tonnes worth of rubbish dumped. We are very saddened by this and we know that there are many using our community garden for their daily walk exercise and it's the actions of very few who are ruining this garden for others. In the light of this, we will now be opening the car park gates at 9am and we will be closing them by 4pm each evening and it will be kept closed over the weekend. We do apologise for the inconvenience this will cause those of you who use the car park during these times. However, to discourage future fly tipping, it is felt this would be best. Thank you all for understand your understanding in this. And that piece was by Stacey Mullen. Daniel Stendel expected to leave Hearts after relegation confirmed. Hearts boss Daniel Stendel is expected to leave the club following their relegation to the championship. The German is under contract at Tynecastle until 2022, however his terms only apply to life in the top tier. This means he is now out of contract following the drop. The manager's agent, Timo Rudwald, previously confirmed to Time Sport that life would be uncertain if the Jambos were unable to change clubs' minds on league reconstruction a bid which went on to fail with the SPFL declaring a line drawn under talks. Roadwald told the Time Sport last week, There's a lot of uncertainty for Daniel's personal future because he has a contract until 2022. As long as there is not a final decision about reconstruction or whether hearts stay in the Premiership, we cannot do anything but wait. If I had another club interested in signing him, and then in three weeks Anne was successful, he would still be under contract. He's not looking desperately for other clubs, but it does make it uncertain. Stendhal's coaching staff are also expected to follow the boss out the door at Tynecastle after just seven months at the helm. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 17th of June 2020, from the news section. Jack Grant, predator who sexually abused kids over three decades, caged for reign of terror. And this piece is by Jack Hall. A predator who committed a string of sex offences over three decades in Glasgow has been jailed for five years. Jack Grant, 54 carried out his attacks on adults and children in the city between 1980 and 2010. Grant, who also attacked his victims in his hometown of West Lothian, will be subject to an order of lifelong restriction. He was jailed yesterday at the High Court in Edinburgh. Officers from Police Scotland have welcomed his sentence and praised his victims for coming forward. Detective Inspector Nick Brookfield said, Jack Grant is, in every sense of the word, a predator who targeted young people over a number of years 
and subjected them to horrific levels of physical and sexual abuse across various parts of Scotland. Had it not been for the courage of these individuals in coming forward, Grant's crimes may have gone unanswered for. I would like to personally thank all of those who provided us with statements and testified in court for their bravery and for their support of this investigation. Police Scotland is committed to bringing the perpetrators of sexual abuse to justice, regardless of the passage of time, while providing victims with all the relevant assistance they may require. And that piece was by Jack Hall. Mega rich Qatari side Al Duhail considering £15 million swoop for Rangers Alfredo Morales. Mega rich Qatari outfit Al Duhail are considering a swoop for Rangers striker Alfredo Morales, according to a report. The Colombian striker is at the top of the list for the leaders of the Qatar Stars League and the club have reportedly inquired through a third party about his availability. The Daily Mail claim El Buffalo could potentially join the likes of Mario Mandzukic, Mehdi Benatahia and Han Kwang Song in Qatar as Al Duhail attempt to snap up European players to improve the country's domestic game ahead of the World Cup Finals in 2022. The 29 goals scored by Morelos last season for the Light Blues has alerted the club, although they would have to spend a hefty sum in the current pandemic to land their man, who is under contract at Ibrooks until 2023. Morelos has previously been tracked by Bordeaux and AC Milan in recent times, and the Daily Mail report a transfer could cost around £15 million. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 17th of June 2020, from the news section, Singer Marty Pale warns his fans about scammers pretending to be him on social media. Article by Stacey Mullen, audience and content editor. Singer Marty Pale has warned his fans about scammers pretending to be him on social media. The Clybank-born star told his fans that his team were aware of the issue. In a statement, Marty, who recently turned 55, said, I've seen a few posts from fans alerting people to scammers on social media sites using my name. First of all, thank you to everyone who has shared their warnings on the community section and helped out others, especially during this trying time. This is something my team and I work tirelessly to prevent. However, with the nature of social media, scammers will still slip through the net. We can only stop it by letting you all know what to look out for. He added, If you receive any direct messages from anyone on any social network or forum claiming to be Marty Pello, please ignore this. I do not send out any direct messages in social media. Anything I want to share with fans will always be done through a post on my official channels or on my website, martypelloofficial.co.uk. If I run a competition, it will be through these channels, not direct messaging. I do not have any private accounts in social media. 
The former wet, wet, wet frontman who left Scotland 20 years ago for a new life in Windsor also urged his fans to report those responsible. The singer is now writing a new stage musical with his long-term music collaborator and producer Grant Mitchell, along with leading theatre dramaturge and playwright Jack Bradley. He quit wet, wet, wet after 30 years of hits. The band still performs with former Liberty X singer Kevin Sim. And that piece was by Stacey Mullen. Tim Swinson comes out of retirement to join Saracens. Former Scotland and Glasgow Warriors second row Tim Swinson has come out of retirement to sign a 12-month contract with fallen English giants Saracens in the English Championship next season as they look to bounce back following their enforced relegation out of the Premiership for a salary cap breach. The 33-year-old announced that he was hanging up his boots last month but couldn't resist a change of heart when the former English and European champions phoned up looking for an experienced second row. Swinson grew up a few miles from Saracen's old Bramley Road ground, played his first game of mini rugby as a curtain raiser for one of the club's matches back in the 1990s and says it is a team he has always wanted to play for. The fact that it offers the opportunity to link up with old Newcastle Falcons teammates Ian Peel and Joe Shaw was another pull factor in his decision to lace up the boots again. He will initially split his time between his parents' home in London and his current base in Glasgow while combining rugby with studying for a law degree from Robert Gordon University. He plans to carry on as Chair of Rugby Players Scotland, the association which represents the interests of Scotland's professional rugby players. From the Glasgow Times, the Wednesday the 17th of June 2020, from the news section, East Bank Academy pays tribute to long-serving Jim DL after he passes away. Article by Jack Hall. Tributes have been paid to a much-loved head teacher who worked in an extended school for nearly three decades. Jim DL was head teacher at East Bank Academy in Shettleson for almost 28 years before retiring 10 years ago. He was the longest-serving head teacher in the school's 126-year history. The much-loved father and husband passed away peacefully on June 14th. His daughter Jane announced. Paying tribute to Jim on social media, staff from East Bank wrote, Very sad to hear of the passing of our former head teacher, Mr DL. Mr DL is the longest serving head in the school's 126 year history and made a huge impact in the school community. We remember his service and our thoughts are with his family at this time. Mr DL began his teaching career at Gallowflat Junior Secondary in Northern where he taught English and social subjects before moving on to Claremont High in East Kilbride. But it was on becoming Principal Teacher of Modern Studies at Riverside Secondary that he discovered his love for the East End of Glasgow. 
Mr DL took up the position of head teacher at East Bank Academy on October 8th, 1984, just before the school moved to a new campus. Daughter Jane Arthur, who followed in her dad's footsteps to also become a head teacher, said he loved his job in the Shettleson community. Condolences have also poured in from former pupils and locals for the fondly remembered head teacher. A family-only service will be held on Wednesday, June 24th at 2pm. Friends, family and those who knew Jim will be able to pay their respects as the funeral procession travels from the family home on Burnhead Road, Newlands, to Lyon Crematorium, via Langside Drive, Mary Lee Road, Clarkson Road, Old Castle Road, Manic Road, past Cathcart Cemetery and Kermonic Road. In the article is by Jack Hall. Callum Davidson to St Johnstone. Bookies suspend betting on manager's post. Bookmakers have suspended betting on Callum Davidson becoming the next St Johnstone manager. The former Scotland international has been the heavy favourite to become Tommy Wright's successor after the big Northern Irishman left his position at the start of May. Bookmakers Big Bookie tweeted, could well be an appointment in Perth soon. Market currently suspended after a female punter from England backed Callum Davidson. We'll wait to see how it plays out, but these sort of bets are normally on the button. Davidson worked as Wright's assistant for five years before linking up with Gary Rowett at Stoke City. He is currently Rowett's right-hand man at Millwall. Davison also had a stint as Scotland assistant manager when Gordon Strachan was boss of the national side. Saints chairman Stephen Brown is expected to make an appointment in the near future, with Perth players due back to training next week. Speaking previously about stepping up his search for a new McDermott Park gaffer, Brown said, there have been a lot of very good applicants. We have not actually advertised the post, but we have had loads of interest. We have had reconstruction, testing and various other things, so it has not been conducive to sit down, focus and spend time going through it all. We'll set it up this week and go through all the applicants with a view of getting down to a short list. Then we'll take it from there. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 17th of June 2020. From the news section, Immunity passports, what are they and how could it work? Article by NewsQuest Digital Content Team. Immunity passports have been floated by the UK government as a method of easing lockdown restrictions and as a potential replacement for current travel quarantine measures. The certifications would allow those who have lived with the virus and become immune to return to social situations and work without the need for social distancing. Priti Patel revealed that the government were looking into their use last week, but they aren't without flaws. What are they? 
Immunity passports are documents that certify you have recovered from coronavirus. In theory, these would be assigned to patients who have recovered from COVID-19 and now possess antibodies that protect them from carrying the disease. Health Secretary Matt Hancock has previously said that the certifications would be used to allow those who are immune to return to resume activities. How would they work? It remains unclear how a passport system would work should the government implement such a strategy. The government have indicated that the documentation could be introduced to ease pressure in the travel industry. Home Secretary Priti Patel said the immunity passports could be used as a replacement for the current travel quarantine system. She said, Air bridges, fast testing, immunity passport, how we can digitalise the response at the border, were all being looked into by the government. Any obstacles to their use? Currently, it remains to be seen whether the presence of antibodies provides immunity to those who carry them, thus throwing the usefulness of an immunity passport, passport into question. World Health Organisation previously stated in a report, There is currently no evidence that people who have recovered from COVID-19 and have antibodies are protected from a second infection. Millions of antibody tests have been ordered by the government, but it will be some time before it is known whether they provide immunity and what the lifespan of that immunity is. Ms Patel implied that much when she was speaking to MPs last week when she said that travel quarantine measures would be lifted when the degree to which the antibody and other methods of testing prove effective in minimising the health risk. And that piece was by the NewsQuest digital content team. Portsmouth extend loan of Ross McCrory from Rangers. Rangers have allowed Ross McCrory to extend his loan deal at Portsmouth so the Scotland under-21 captain can play in the League One playoffs. The versatile defender will be available for the two-legged semi-final against Oxford at the start of next month and a potential final at Wembley on July 13. Pompey boss Kenny Jackett is thrilled to have the 22-year-old at his disposal after his initial season-long agreement expired. McCrory has made 22 appearances for the Fratton Park outfit and Jackett is keen to recruit the player on a permanent deal this summer. Jackett said, All of the lone players are good to play in the playoff games and should we get through to the final, they are okay as well. Ross has been extended until the end of the playoffs and he played 45 minutes against Reading the other day. Rangers go back in August but are happy for him to play for us. Now we have some dates, it is straightforward and we have no problems with the guys on loan. With the dates of the playoffs announced, parent clubs can now see where they are and what they are doing. There has generally also been an appetite from our lone lads to be able to stay and that hasn't changed. Despite being sidelined for most of last November with a hamstring injury, McCrory recently admitted that he has been delighted about how his lone move has panned out. He added, I have enjoyed my time here. There was one big injury and then perhaps I came back a bit too soon from that.
but I love the city and all the lads. The fans and coaching staff all welcomed me and I feel I've given a good account of myself. From the Glasgow Times, date Wednesday the 17th of June 2020, from the new section. Probe launched after Strathclyde student union boss accuses Rangers of perpetuating racist politics. Article by Jack Haw. A Glasgow university has launched a probe after a student union boss accused Rangers of playing a role in perpetuating fascist and racist politics. Strathclyde University student president Matt Crelly made the remarks about the Glasgow team in a now-deleted post on social media. Mr Crelly, who is due to take over as president of the National Union of Students for Scotland, NUS, also wrote, Decent Rangers fans need to seriously overhaul what the club stands for. His remarks came in Sunday as demonstrators took to the city's George Square to protect the War Memorial and Cenotaph. A number of skirmishes occurred between the protesters and opponents, with police later confirming football risk groups were involved. Mr Crilly has since apologised for his post and said he didn't intend to paint all supporters with the same brush. He said, Firstly, I would like to apologise to the Rangers fans who I have hurt with my comments online. It wasn't my intention to paint all supporters or the club with the same brush, but it clearly I caused hurt and I am genuinely sorry for this. Racism is a fact of Scottish life and a growing concern in society. Its existence means we must have difficult conversations about all of our institutions, be they universities, public bodies or sports club. Crucially, we all have a duty to stand up and tackle racism wherever we see it. Chiefs at Strath Union confirmed yesterday they were looking into the matter and said in a statement, Strathclyde Students Union is aware of the comments made by our outgoing president on Twitter. The union is following procedure to investigate the matter and is unable to comment further at this time. A spokesperson from the NUS said, NUS is aware of the statements made by Mark Crowley, NUS Scotland President-elect. We know that this matter is under investigation by Mr Crowley's current employer, the University of Strathclyde Students' Union, and would refer to their statement in the matter. Rangers did not respond to requests for comment, but the club has earned plaudits from across the country for its Everyone, Anyone campaign, which aims to unite people from all backgrounds, cultures and communities. The club also launched a fan charter which encouraged supporters to pledge Ibrox was no place for bigotry, racism, sectarianism or homophobia. And that article was by Jack Haw. Article from the Glasgow Times, Thursday, 18th of June 2020. Lifestyle. Ardner Merchen. This is what going for a socially distant pint will look like. By Carla Jenkins, Facebook community reporter. Lockdown has taught us many things, including the importance of not taking the small things for granted. Be it a simple meal with family, an evening spent over pints with friends, or even those candlelit moments between cosy couples, we have all learned just how special these things can be, and how hard it is not to have them. As we move into different phases of lockdown, many pubs, bars, restaurants and clubs are finding their feet again in their preparation for post-lockdown, 
including Ardner Merchum on Hope Street. Aiming to be one of the first bars to reopen in Scotland when the closure order is lifted, owner Neil Douglas has made a number of changes to ensure safety and hygiene are top of the pub's priority list. So what will going for a drink look like in a socially distant pub in the not-too-distant future? The answer is perspex glass, spatial distancing, waiting for the toilets, and hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. On entering, I was initially met with yellow arrows on the floor, not unlike the ones used in supermarkets right now. This is because the pub will operate off a one-way system, clockwise and anti-clockwise through the restaurant. The number of covers has reduced from 100 to 70, which won't affect the surroundings too much, other than maybe making it more difficult to get a booking for large parties. Neil said, We're lucky because we have a big venue, and we've taken out a third of our seating to separate customers, and the layout will work where the people have to maintain a one or two metre distance. The private spaces work really well, and people will be able to pre-book the ones they want. Having tried them out with my own children, I know they're perfect for families. They give the kids a bit more space than usual, and naturally encourage them to stay close to their table. While the booths have perspex glass around them, single tables also have a small curtain to draw between parties. The result is parties will have more privacy while actually being out in public, enjoying elements of both. A pulled draught pint, the sounds of music and chatter, and food made by somebody with expertise in making food. All the while, this can be enjoyed, knowing that hygiene and safety will be at the forefront of everybody's mind. I don't know if I'll ever miss the sloppy, drunken walk to lean on a bar, but this new, sleek and futuristic look certainly makes for a great alternative if I ever did. The moral is we are staying safe. That's all we can try to do. Frank McAviti Stump up the cash or risk another lost generation. An article published in the Glasgow Times by Frank McAviti, published on the 18th of June 2020. Earlier this week, I was given cause to remember life as a teacher in Glasgow in the 80s and 90s. During my weekly shop, a former pupil of mine approached me and we started to reminisce a little about life in an East End school at that time. It's always rewarding to meet those who, as pupils, always had the odds stacked against them and being a teacher in some of the most deprived parts of Europe at the time, a lot of the young people I taught fell into that category. Lots of them have remarkable stories to tell about their successes in life and the adversity they overcame. Giving young people the confidence, skills and tools they need for later life is the transformative power of education. And that gives such urgency to the debate we're having in Scotland today. Glasgow's young people have made phenomenal progress. With each year they break new records and chip away at that gap in attainment between the wealthiest and poorest households. We run the risk of a lost generation from this crisis, 
Potentially a year without full-time education could have enormous repercussions. Our teachers have responded admirably in unprecedented circumstances. Many of them have been rolling up their sleeves and trying to continue our young people's education, including by helping to prepare online lessons. This being key to the Scottish Government's proposed blended model at school and at home learning. But a snap poll of the Parent Forum of Scotland demonstrated that 62% of those participating had received no online lessons. Once upon a time, education was going to be the defining mission of the Scottish Government. And yet, over the past week, parents have been subjected to inconsistent and muddled messages about the future of their children's education. This cannot be allowed to stand. We know the risks from the virus and that we still have to protect the health of the nation. But we also know that we have radically reduced the numbers catching the virus. We know, from examples elsewhere, that by getting proper tests and trace systems in place, we can continue to keep numbers low. What that requires is political will. We can and must get our young people back to school full-time as soon as possible. A key Scottish Government advisor said publicly this week that it could be possible. In responding to the crisis, it feels like we have moved mountains to adapt to the pandemic. But if we cannot find the will to move this mountain, then I worry about what the future will hold for millions of our young people. In Glasgow, by the time the Education Committee meet again, it could have been five months since their last meeting, despite the enormous challenge ahead of us. That is plainly ridiculous, but matched in ridiculousness by the consistent game of blaming local authorities. Before an entire generation is let down, it is the Scottish Government that needs to show leadership at this time. Stump up the cash and do it now. Dame Vera Lynn, the force's sweetheart, dies at the age of 103. Force's sweetheart, Dame Vera Lynn, has died at 103, the singer's family have said. A statement said, the family are deeply saddened to announce the passing of one of Britain's best-loved entertainers at the age of 103. Dame Vera Lynn, who lived in Ditchling, East Sussex, passed away earlier today, the 18th of June, surrounded by her close family. In May, Dame Vera Lynn became the oldest artist to score a top 40 album in the UK, the official charts company said. The 103-year-old saw her greatest hits album, 100, re-enter the chart at number 30, boosted by last week's commemoration of the 75th anniversary of VE Day. When originally released in 2017, the collection made Dame Vera the first centenarian to chart. 
according to the official charts company. Article from Glasgow Times, 17th of June 2020, Lifestyle. Glasgow girls team up with Ugandan entrepreneurs to bag exciting business prospect. Exclusive by Anne Fotheringham, senior features writer. It was supposed to be a fantastic party, a grand opening of a pop-up shop after months of hard work and a celebration of an inspiring new link between Glasgow schoolgirls and young female entrepreneurs in Uganda. Forced to abandon their original plans because of coronavirus, the young people of Mary Hill, Hindland and Loch Winnock were not to be deterred. Instead of giving up, they simply moved their plans to sell beautiful bags made by a group of Ugandan businesswomen online. I was disappointed when I found out the pop-up shop had to be cancelled, says Broomhill primary pupil Sophia McCleary. I was looking forward to getting to chat to people and learning to sell stuff. But thanks to this project, I learned that you have to be adaptable when you are running a business. This project is Barefoot in Business, led by Women's Enterprise Scotland ambassador and founder of Glasgow-based Scrumptious Productions, Carol Cook. She was inspired to set it up after making a documentary about the Female Entrepreneur of the Year Awards in Uganda. Uganda is home to some of the most inspiring and innovative women I've ever met, she says. I was proud to share their stories, and the response was overwhelming. Everyone who watched it asked, where can I buy these products? How can I support these women? It didn't feel right just to move on to my next project, especially when the message from the women themselves was so simple and so powerful. We want your orders, not your aid. In Scotland, explains Carol, men are twice as likely to set up a business as women. Through Barefoot in Business, we're on a mission to confront this, she says. We want to provide hands-on business experience and real-life models to inspire girls to follow in our footsteps while helping women in Uganda. This is about trade, not aid, and we mean business. Sophia and classmates at Broom Hill joined pupils from Hindland, Whiteinch, Thornwood and Lochwinnock Primaries, Hindland Secondary and members of North United Communities, NUC, Acting Up Drama Group in Mary Hill for the project. Over the course of eight workshops, each team was trained in the basics of business and marketing before creating their own boutique selling tote bags made by the Ugandan tailors. In Uganda, Sylvia, Prossi and Josephine were part of the tailoring team based in Kampala's Katanga slum. Sylvia explains, Getting an international market for the bags has given me joy, she says. I have been able to earn and pay school fees for my children. Prossi adds, I feel happy when the bags that are made by me are bought international. That shows I am skilled. The ladies will look smart and unique with our bags. If we get more orders, it will change my life, says Josephine. I will be able to grow my business, have my own workshop, maybe build my own house. That will make me very happy. Most Glaswegians want open discussion about racism. Don't let the others pull us off course. An article by Susan Aiken, columnist, published in the Glasgow Times of June the 18th, 2020. 
The killing of George Floyd by police officers in the US last month has triggered a worldwide conversation about racism, its roots and its impacts. More so than at any other time for a generation, a moment has emerged in which the world is challenging a societal malignancy which exists here in Glasgow, just as it does in Minneapolis. In Scotland, that must mean confronting and addressing the under-representation of BME citizens across the public and private sectors. The fact that racial crime remains our most commonly reported hate crime and the varied incidents of discrimination and prejudice that black and minority ethnic people experience in their daily lives. The Black Lives Matter campaign reminds us that discrimination based on skin colour and ethnicity is all too alive in our country and that we mustn't let up on the fight to eliminate it. The physical representations and reminders of historic racism and discrimination have also come under the spotlight. Black Lives Matter has for several years highlighted the continued existence and meaning of statues and monuments to US Civil War Confederacy and the way in which the attitudes of the past continue to make themselves felt in the racial inequality of the present day. It's inevitable that as the campaign goes global, so too do these debates. In Glasgow, recent years have seen a growing awareness and recognition of our past. The city has started to look in the mirror and begun to accept the role which the enforced transportation and enslavement of millions of Africans and generations of their descendants played in allowing Glasgow to flourish. For the last couple of years, the Glasgow City Government has been talking to organisations like the Coalition for Racial Equality and Rights about how we as a city should acknowledge and respond to our historical role in the slave economy, colonialism and empire. Last year, we commissioned an academic study into that period of our history and its continuing legacy to this day. Once this study is complete, we'll begin a public conversation about our options for addressing its findings, a conversation in which the voices of our BAME residents must take centre stage. That conversation will encompass street names, statues, public buildings, financial bequests, our museum collections and the school curriculum and it will seek ideas for a permanent memorial to the people whose slave labour built the city's wealth. But, most importantly, it will seek to address the continuing impact of this historical legacy and to ensure we act to make Black Lives Matter in the present day. When I launched this study last November, it was pioneering within the UK. Given the eruption of the debate around statues and memorials worldwide, our evidence-based approach and commitment to consult now marks us out on a much bigger stage. To quote one of Scotland's leading human rights activists, Prof Sir Geoff Palmer, himself the descendant of Caribbean slaves, we cannot change the past, but we can change the consequences of that past. We can change the future. 
Glasgow is taking a step in that direction. And we mustn't allow ourselves to be pulled off course by those who would seek to use the past to reinforce the inequalities of the present and exploit the Black Lives Matter campaign to impose their own narrow worldviews and entrenched agendas. The scenes from George Square at the weekend were shameful. They were not about defending statues or the cenotaph. They were simply a display of racism and thuggery which should have no place on our streets. It's clear from my email inbox that many people have had their eyes opened by the Black Lives Matter protests and are taking it upon themselves to learn more about Glasgow's historical connections with the slave trade. They are shocked by what they've found and motivated to seek change. That's real progress. I firmly believe the vast majority of Glaswegians, even if they have not given much thought to these issues before, want to engage in this discussion with open minds and in good faith. The work the Council is funding will allow just that to happen. It will uncover and establish the facts and clear up some myths and half-truths and consult on a plan to acknowledge and memorialise the victims of our history and address its continuing legacy. Discrimination takes many forms. History is multidimensional and remains deeply relevant for many, but it's one part of a bigger picture. The ultimate aim of Black Lives Matter is to make black lives equal and together we should keep our eyes on that prize. We have an opportunity as a city to learn, to listen and to respond and others are watching us. Let's make sure we don't lose this moment for change. Take a bow, Marcus Rashford. This young man one of the most successful UK sports stars of his generation, hasn't forgotten his experiences of relying on free school meals, food banks and the generosity of others. His compelling case for additional support to help feed children in England whilst schools remain closed has forced the hand of Boris's Tory government. Tackling food poverty was one of the early pledges of the SNP city government. In our first ever budget, we set aside several million pounds to address this and since then have funded a highly successful community-based holiday food programme. News then that the Scottish Government has awarded councils £12.6 million to feed children over the summer months is timely and welcome. Our plan now in Glasgow is to combine that support with our clothing grant and give families a single cash payment of £190 per eligible child. With the Covid crisis also widening the inequalities gap in our city, it's a relief to know children and families who need it will get the help they need to put food on the table this summer. Interactive map reveals Glasgow's coronavirus death hotspots. 
Glasgow's coronavirus hotspots have been revealed in an interactive new map. Figures show a number of communities have been hit by 10 COVID-19 deaths or more during the first three months of the pandemic. The worst hit area was Parkhead, which registered 31 deaths during that time period. It was followed by Drumchapel with 20 deaths. The likes of Postle Park, Pollock and Annie's Land have also registered more than 10 deaths between March and the end of May. The figures were revealed by the National Records of Scotland in a breakdown of COVID-19 deaths by local area. The National Records of Scotland said the death rate was 2.1 times higher in the poorest areas. This NRS analysis confirmed an association with underlying health problems. Of those who died with COVID in May, 92% had at least one pre-existing condition. Director of Statistical Services Pete Whitehouse said, every death from this virus is a tragedy. These statistics alongside the other important evidence being made available by the Scottish Government and Health Protection Scotland are valuable to the understanding of the progress and impact of the COVID-19 virus across Scotland. Article from Glasgow Times, Thursday 18th of June 2020 Lifestyle. From the murder of Lord Darnley to Glasgow's most significant battle. Exclusive by Times Talker. In 1921, that the immediate damage was disastrous. It did not help that the city's Archbishop, James Beaton, had fled to Paris with all the major treasures and archives of the church in Glasgow. But the likelihood is that he would have been deposed and those treasures destroyed as the Protestant reformers took control of most of Scotland. Queen Mary visited Glasgow several times during her all-too-brief period of actually ruling over Scotland, and when she did for the last time, events proved catastrophic for her. Mary's convoluted life is far too big a subject to be detailed in this column, or even an entire month's worth of every page of the Times. But for our purposes as a history of Glasgow, the basic facts need to be known. She remained a Catholic and fought with John Knox over her use of the sacraments and attendance at Mass. She put Protestant lords into the Privy Council while trying to keep the rump of the Catholic nobility happy, and eventually had to put down a rebellion by the Catholic Earl of Huntley. She then kicked her own half-brother, James, the Earl of Murray, out of the government, and was forced to march west to confront forces gathering to usurp her. It was said that she entered Glasgow at the head of an army of 5,000 men, Murray doing the sensible thing and running away to fight another day. And fight he did, as we shall see. Her beauty acknowledged internationally, Mary would have had no problem getting a husband from the noble houses of Europe, but her desire to be Queen of England she was acknowledged as first in line as long as Elizabeth remained childless, saw her look at English suitors, 
before she finally made a disastrous marriage in 1565 to English subject Henry Stuart Lord Darnley, the son of the fourth Earl of Lennox, a notable property owner in Glasgow, whose estates had been restored to him by Mary at the request of her cousin Elizabeth. Theirs was a marriage made in lust. They were both very tall for the time and very good-looking and Darnley at least did do his dynastic duty and get Mary pregnant with the future King James VI and I. But he was also arrogant and headstrong, and took part in the conspiracy to murder the Queen's secretary, David Rizzio, before leaving Mary with the infant James and heading to his father's property in Glasgow. There he became very ill, some say from syphilis or smallpox, and Mary herself came to Glasgow to nurse him, and eventually take him back to Edinburgh. Not a good move on Darnley's part, not least because he had angered Mary's loyal lords with his plan to become king in his own right. Led by Mary's thug of a future husband, James Hebburn, the fourth Earl of Bothwell, a gang of conspirators arranged Darnley's murder at Kirkafield on the night of February 9th, 10th, 1567. The Earl of Lennox had Bothwell put on trial, but the not guilty verdict was bought and extorted and Bothwell married Mary, probably having raped her beforehand. No fewer than 26 lords turned against Mary over her marriage, and after the non-battle at Carberry, Bothwell went into exile, and Mary was forced to abdicate in favour of her son, the one-year-old James. The Earl of Murray took control as regent, but Mary escaped from her prison at Lochleven Castle, and loyal lords rallied to her. The scene was set with the for a confrontation that would either restore Mary to the throne or see her dead or at least exiled, and it took place in Glasgow's suburb, the village of Langside. Mary's supporters included the powerful Hamilton family, the earls of Argyle, Ross, Eglinton and Castles, and plenty other lords and barons. Glasgow's loyalties as a city were uncertain due to the power of Lennox, but Murray had been in and around the city dispensing justice, and it was from Glasgow that he sent out a proclamation declaring that he was acting for King James, being brought up a Protestant, against the abdicated Mary. The religious divide played in Murray's favour, as the Protestant lords flocked to him, so that he was able to gather an army of 4,000 men by early May 1568. Intending to make her royal base at the impregnable Dumbarton Castle, Mary's lords mustered a slightly larger army of five to six thousand men and marched north from the Hamilton's base in Lanarkshire with the Queen in the forefront. Heading from Rutherglen to Langside, which now of course is well inside Glasgow, on May 13, 1568, Mary's army was confronted with Murray's force, determined to stop her reaching Dumbarton and safety. The difference between the armies was quality, not quantity. Murray's troops were battle-tried, and he himself was an experienced general, while he had beside him one of Europe's most respected commanders, William Cocody of Grange. After repulsing a charge by Mary's cavalry, this veteran of many battles in France directed Murray's cannon and sharpshooters in such a way that Mary's troops, under the inexperienced Duke of Argyle, were trapped on the road out of Langside, then known as Langlone. Reinforcements soon arrived for Murray, and under a hail of fire, Mary's troops soon broke and fled. The battle lasted less than an hour, and while the death toll was probably less than 300, most of them were Mary's men, while many of her loyal lords were captured. 
The Queen herself, watching from a nearby hillside, was forced to free south to England and seek succour from Elizabeth Gloriana, while Murray entered Glasgow to a rousing reception. The citizenry quick to acclaim the winner of a local fight. They still are, as world champion boxers Scott Harrison and Ricky Burns would confirm. The battle changed the face of Glasgow, for beside Langside you will find the area known as Battlefield, as well as Battlefield Road and Battlefield Rest, a former tram station that is now a fine restaurant. There is also the Battlefield Monument, erected in 1887. The plaque on it states, The Battle of Langside was fought on this ground on the 13th of May 1568 between the forces of Mary, Queen of Scots, and the Regent Murray, and marked the Queen's final defeat in Scotland. In simple terms, that's exactly what happened at the most significant battle in Glasgow's history. From the Glasgow Times, the Friday the 19th of June 2020, from the news section, Asylum seekers should be allowed to work, majority of Scots say in poll. This piece is by Jack Hall and Daniel Hawkins. Almost three quarters of people think people seeking asylum in Scotland should be allowed to work in the country, according to a new survey. The Surveyation Poll, commissioned by the Scottish Refugee Council, also found more than half of respondents believe the country should have its own immigration system, separate from the rest of the UK. Sabir Azai, the charity's chief executive, welcomed the findings, which he said suggests Scots want things to be done differently. The survey found 73% of Scots think people seeking asylum should be allowed to work to support themselves and their families. Refugees are banned from working before they receive a positive decision on their claim for protection and must instead live in asylum support of around £5 per person per day. This is a figure 52% of those surveyed said is too low. Some 59% of those polled also said it would be better for Scotland to run its own asylum and immigration system. Immigration is currently reserved to Westminster. Just over half 52% of those polled think those seeking asylum should receive financial support in line with current rates of universal credit, and 74% believe it is important to make refugees feel welcome in Scotland. We have all been forced to reassess priorities recently, and COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter mean we can no longer accept unfairness and inequalities as inevitable. We are in a time of seismic change, and as this poll shows, people are ready for a more fair and humane approach to refugee protection. The overwhelming backing comes the same week as a protest group took to Glasgow City Centre to de- demonstrate against unfair treatment for asylum seekers, only for the Loyalist Defence League to disrupt them in ugly scenes. No evictions Glasgow had taken to George Square for a peaceful protest on Wednesday, but the city was blighted by clashes again. They wrote, We condemn attempts by far-right groups to hijack our peaceful protest tonight, which is about the conditions facing people in the asylum system in Scotland. Our demo has nothing to do with the cenotaph. We will not be scared off from highlighting the horrible, horrific conditions in the Glasgow's asylum accommodation. The poll comes ahead of the United Nations World Refugee Day, which is marked internationally every year on June 20th. Servation polled more than 1,000 Scottish residents online from June the 9th to June the 15th. 
And that piece was by Jack Hall and Daniel Harkins. Celtic boss Neil Lennon, still hopeful of Fraser Foster and Mohamed Elunusi. Celtic boss Neil Lennon is still hopeful of keeping Fraser Foster and Mohamed Elunusi in Glasgow despite the financial implications of the coronavirus pandemic. The on-loan Southampton duo have joined Celtic's pre-season training camp with their stays set to expire at the end of June. When asked about the prospect of securing permanent transfers, Lennon said, I don't think it's unrealistic. They are two players who added a lot to the squad last year and made a really positive contribution. So they are two players we would dearly love to have for next season, but we just have to wait and see. They are not our players. We will see how negotiations go. It's good to see them back and involved, and it would give us continuity if we could get those two in. From the Glasgow Times, date Friday the 19th of June 2020, from the news section. Cops probing Glasgow City Centre fraud release image of man. Article by Jack Haw. Cops probing fraud in the city centre have released an image of a man they wish to talk to. Police believe the man pictured may be able to help as they investigate the use of a stolen credit card in Glasgow on 18th of July 2019. He is described as a white male aged 18 to 21, slim build, short fair hair and wearing a green parker coat with a fur rim and a white shirt. Detective Constable Mark Sutter of Glasgow CID said, This has been a high value fraud whereby goods have been obtained by deception. As part of our ongoing inquiries, we're eager to identify and trace the man pictured and we'd ask anyone who can help us to get in touch as soon as possible. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101. Celtic should hold out for £30 million before allowing Christopher Ager to leave for AC Milan, says Ryseth. Former Celtic defender Vidar Ryseth insists Celtic should be holding out for £30 million before they make the decision to sell Christopher Ager. The Norwegian stopper has been linked with a move to Italian giants AC Milan this summer, but he is under contract at Parkhead until 2022. Ryseth, who is friends with Ager, is adamant that the hoops should be holding out for as much as possible as he believes the Dane is a top talent. He said, Chris is a modern centre-back. He's young and has a lot of potential. The money clubs will pay for these kinds of players is crazy right now. We are talking £50 million and more now in that transfer market. When the time comes for Chris to go, I think Celtic will be able to demand £20 million, maybe even £30 million. That's the level we are talking about now. Chris is still only 22 
and already has a lot of experience. He has played in Europe and he has been captain of Norway. That kind of quality comes at a cost. We will see, but I believe he will stay at Celtic. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 19th of June 2020, from the news section. Firefighters worked through the night to tackle blaze after massive explosion in Duke Street. Article by Jack Hall. Around 30 firefighters have worked through the night to tackle in a blaze at a derelict building. The alarm was raised at 8.40pm on Thursday about the incident in Duke Street. Six appliances were sent to the scene to tackle the fire. There were still six appliances dealing with the incident at 6.30am on Friday morning. There were no reports of any injuries. It is not yet known what caused the explosion, but plumes of black smoke could be seen for miles last night. Local councillor Alan Casey said the fire appeared to have started from a site that houses waste close by. He tweeted, I understand there has been a loud explosion in the Deniston area. A Scottish Fire and Rescue Service spokeswoman said last night, We were called to an incident at Duke Street in Glasgow at 8.40pm on Thursday. Operations control mobile six appliances to a derelict building and crews are currently in attendance. And that article was by Jack Hall. Millwall boss Gary Rowett heaps praise on Callum Davidson after St Johnstone appointment. Gary Rowett has heaped praise on Callum Davidson following his decision to become St Johnstone's new manager. Former Scotland international Davidson worked as assistant to Rowett at Stoke City before the pair moved on to Millwall. But after Tommy Wright left his position, a Saints boss at the start of May, Davidson has had his heart set on a move back to a club that means so much to him. The 43-year-old started and finished his career with the Perth club and worked as assistant to Wright for five years before he headed south to link up with Rowett. Speaking about Davidson's appointment, Rowett said, Callum being asked to do the job is a compliment to the work he has done with us here. As a team, we have been successful. We want people with ambition who want to further their careers to be better at their jobs. The flip side is that they get offers they want to pursue. He got the offer probably quicker than he thought. I said, if it is something you really want to do, we will try to help. The club does not stand in the way of people who want to progress. I do not think that is right, to make it hard for someone to take their chance. He has been away from his family for two years, so I don't think his wife Lorna and their two girls would have thanked us if we had stopped him. He goes with our best wishes. He will be a big miss because he has been an integral part of what we are doing. The timing is not fantastic, but it is good there will be a minimum of disruption before Saturday.
from the Glasgow Times, date Friday the 19th of June 2020, from the news section. Cops probe spate of car thefts in Clydebank. This piece is by Jack Hall. Cops are appealing for information after a spate of car thefts in Clydebank. Officers say crooks targeting four Cougar motors have pounced in the town of the l- in the last month. The model was also pinched from outside a home in Helensburgh in May. Between 1am and 1.30am on Monday, 11th of May, a white Ford Cougar was stolen from a property in Abercrombie Crescent in Agarlum Butte Town. A second car, a black Ford Cougar, was stolen from Beaches Road in Clydebank between 12pm on Tuesday the 9th of June and 11am on Wednesday the 10th of June. A green Ford Cougar was stolen from a third property on Mirren Drive in Clydebank between 2am and 3.35am on Wednesday the 17th of June. Detective Constable Imran Abizar said, We believe the three incidents to be connected due to the same car model being targeted. I'm appealing to the public for any information regarding the thefts of these three vehicles. I am particularly interested in speaking to anyone who may have CCTV or dashcam footage within these streets and surrounding areas at the time of the incidents occurred. Please do check back as there may be footage that could assist our investigation. I'd also like to take this opportunity to remind people of securing their homes and vehicles before they go to bed at night and to make sure that keys are kept in a secure place within the property. By taking simple steps to ensure your home and vehicles are secure, this will make you less likely to be a victim of these types of crimes. Anyone with information is asked to call 101. And that article was written by Jack Hall. Rangers interested in former Manchester United youngster Dion McGee. Rangers are reportedly interested in released Manchester United star Dion McGee. The 19-year-old wasn't offered a new contract at his boyhood club when his contract expired at the end of last month and now there is a report that a number of top European clubs are monitoring his situation. Rangers are among those clubs with English Premier League sides West Ham and Watford also plotting a swoop. The youngster made nine appearances for United's under-23s this season, with his final match coming in March against Stoke before the COVID-19 pandemic suspended the campaign. It is understood that McGee would be keen to play under Ibrook's boss Stephen Gerrard. Championship side Derby are also reported with an interest, and with Wayne Rooney currently playing his football there, McGee could opt for a move to Pride Park. Around Europe, Benfico, Porto, Nice and the Eredivisie outfit AZ in the Netherlands are also keeping tabs on the attacking midfielder. Speaking after leaving Old Trafford, McGee said, Since the age of six, all I've known is Manchester United. I've gone through the youth ranks and learned a lot with the academy. I would like to say a massive thank you to everyone at Manchester United Football Club, staff, players, coaches, managers and the fans 
who have helped and influenced me to become the player I am today. I am excited at the new opportunities coming up and I am ready for the next challenge. Thank you all. Once I read, always I read. From the Glasgow Times, date Friday the 19th of June 2020, from the news section. Real disruption this morning after a huge East End fire that shook houses. And this piece is by Katrina Stewart. Scotrail has warned passengers that train services are disrupted this morning following a fire in the East End last night. Real bosses have said the fire's proximity to Belgrove Station and the presence of potentially explosive gas canisters means it is not safe to run services. Fire crews tackled a blaze that broke out in a derelict building near Duke Street, causing a massive explosion that locals said shook houses and shops. Plumes of black smoke were seen for miles across the city as the blaze burned. Around 30 firefighters worked through the night tackling the fire and were still in the scene at around 6.30am. Scotchville said it's Balloch to Airdrie and Hillsborough to Edinburgh trains will only run as far as Belgrove. Services from Edinburgh to Helensburg will terminate at Garrow Hill. But services between Edinburgh and Glasgow via Falkirk are unaffected. And that article is by Catchyon Stewart. And that was this week's Glasgow Times. Thanks for listening. 